Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. We have an eclectic program today, some really serious stuff and then some lighter stuff. One of the things we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks as we approach the end of the year is sort of looking back at the year. Last uh, Yesterday, for example, we had a conversation about who the person of the year should be. Time Magazine, to the extent that anybody cares about Time Magazine, Time Magazine is going to be making their announcement uh, tomorrow, but we got a little bit of a head start on it. So we're going to be doing some stuff related to that. That is the year that it's been and what a year it's been over the course of the next couple weeks and we'll be interspersing those topics in and I've got two topics related to that coming up a little bit later on in the show but let us start off with a, a serious topic that really requires some I think serious attention what was it late February early March Vladimir Putin invades Ukraine Vladimir Putin and at the time remember we thought that, that, that all the pundits thought this was going to be a three or a four day war the the Russian army was going to move in they were going to take Ukraine and then you know we'd be worried about okay what's next you know here we got Vladimir Putin and Russia are they going to be threatening NATO countries etc cetera, etc cetera. well something happened along the way and that is Ukraine decided it didn't want to be rolled over like that and rather than greet the Russians as conquering heroes you know the people in Ukraine viewed Russia as what it was which was this aggressor and they, they fought back and for a while you know it was really really touch and go the russia made huge advances and then the advances started to bog down the west united against russia's aggression the west started providing ukraine with weapons ukraine decided that they were going to fight back and they were going to fight back hard against the invaders the Russian army, I don't want to say that they are a paper tiger, but the Russian army, which was viewed as this invincible force, well, they, they, they bogged down. And for the last several months, the story has been Russia has been retreating and retreating and retreating. The other story is Vladimir Putin, who I think is just completely and totally stunned that he's in, in a situation where – Okay, they, they thought that this was going to, um, you know, they were, they were going to be able to accomplish what they were going to be able to accomplish and take over Ukraine. I think he's absolutely stunned that they have not been able to do that. And so as their losses have mounted on the battlefield, as they've had to conscript people and things like that, one of the things that they've started to do is just like Hitler in World War II, and yeah, I don't like to use Hitler analogies, but this is kind of an appropriate one, what they've started to do is to try to terrorize the civilians. And so they're losing on the battlefield, but what they're essentially doing is they're doing anything they can to try to, I don't know, maybe it's demoralize Ukraine or whatever. So you've got these long-range bombs, you've got bombers, you've got cruise missiles that are going into populated areas in an effort to, number one, kill civilians, and number two, disable, like, the power grid. Okay, so you've got winter coming on in Ukraine, and the effort is, all right, let us try to make civilians, we don't care if we kill them, but we're going to try to make their life as miserable 
affordable as possible. Let's take out power plants. Let's do all that sort of stuff. And I don't know what the mission is. Maybe it's to demoralize the Ukrainian people. I, I don't know. But that's where the war has shifted to as as Russia starts to lose militarily on the ground. One of the other things that has happened is that the Ukraine is starting to go on the offensive. And I'm not talking about just the offensive with the, the ground troops. They're starting to launch attacks. There were reports over the last couple of days that you have, you know, Ukraine that has attacked, you know, with missiles and things like that, a couple Russian, you know, air bases that are, are a couple hundred miles into Russia. So you've got Ukraine that is responding to some of these long-range attacks by launching long-range attacks of themselves, which brings the story that I want to discuss with you. Wall Street Journal is reporting that the U.S., secretly modified these HIMAR rocket launchers that it gave to Ukraine that have a, a range of about 200 miles. But um, the U.S. supplied Ukrainian forces with some of these, they call them high-mobility artillery rocket systems, you know, um, HIMARS, that's the things, and launchers, and a large inventory of satellite-guided rockets. However, they modified these launchers so that they can only have a range of about 50 miles. And so the idea would be here, you know, if you've got like a a Russian advancing force and they've got an ammo dump or something like that, you can use this to take out the ammo dump. But you really can't use these as like long-range weapons. It's not like you can use these missiles and you can, I don't know, attack into Russia. And the U.S., without telling... Uh, the general public, that's what they did. They provided them these launchers, but they were modified to limit their capacity and to a range of only about 50 miles, when actually they should have a range of about you know 200 miles or so. The reason they are doing this is that they don't want Ukraine to essentially exacerbate the, the war. You know, they, they, they don't want them to use these as offensive weapons to sort of attack the Russians. So they're defensive weapons. If Russia's got, you know, the military that, that's in Ukraine and you see where the, their, their makeshift airport is or whatever, you can attack those. But we don't want to give you the range to attack things into Russia. The Biden administration wants to do this because, again, they don't want to escalate this. Now, the problem with this is, you know, it's, it's kind of like being half pregnant. You know, you're, you, you've got a war that, that is going on, and you've got Vladimir Putin, who is moving more and more towards trying to terrorize and kill civilians and take out the power grid. So the question now becomes, okay, by denying Ukraine long-range missiles and launchers that can fire them, are you essentially giving Russia a free hand to fire crews and ballistic missiles into Ukraine from Crimea and its own territory and mount drone attacks without fear that Kiev, Kiev might strike back? All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I get what they were trying to do originally. They were saying, okay, we, we don't want to escalate this. So we're going to provide you with weapons that are essentially you know, defensive in nature. In this case, though, 
especially oh, for the last two months or so, what Putin has been doing, they've changed the strategy. And he's targeting civilian infrastructure, the energy grid. It's a humanitarian potential catastrophe in Ukraine. And the question now becomes, all right, does it still make sense to say to Ukraine, you just got to take this? You know, you got to take the cruise missiles. You've got to take those attacks. You've got to take the attacks from the long range bombers and things like that. Given where Putin is now, does it make sense to kind of take the handcuffs and the shackles off Ukraine and allow them, I don't know, maybe to launch some of their attacks against Russia? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. I understand what we were trying to do in the beginning. And I think maybe there was a, a reason for that, and maybe it was a good reason. But at this point in time, if the new strategy of Russia is going to be, all right, we're going to pull back troops, but we're going to send long-range missiles in, and we know that there's nothing that Ukraine can do about that, maybe it's time to rethink the strategy, and maybe it's time to, I don't know, take the handcuffs off and let these launchers, let's retrofit them and let them send the missiles 200 miles instead of 50 miles. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. One of our texters says, well, everybody knew this. No, no. Matter of fact, the Pentagon still refuses to confirm it. The headline in the Wall Street Journal today, U.S. altered HIMARS rocket launchers to keep Ukraine from firing missiles into Russia. No, that has not been previously disclosed. But I guess the question is now, given that, that Putin has changed the nature of the war, this isn't as much of a land war where you've got the Russian troops that are advancing. Now what you have is Putin, who has apparently decided he's going to use long-range missiles to try to kill as many Ukrainian citizens as he can and to destroy their energy grid when we're looking at, at the, the winter that's coming on. Is it time to say, okay, if this is what the tactic is going to be, you know, maybe we need to take the shackles off Ukraine and allow them to respond in kind. And maybe if you drop a couple bombs in Russia, maybe that's going to move Russia a little bit closer to the bargaining table, which is where this ultimately ends up. Let's talk to Mary in Brookfield. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mary. Uh, my feeling is I certainly don't want any American ground troops over there. Yep. However, um, if we can't take out Putin, like we have done to uh, Saddam Hussein and every other monster out there, then we need to give Ukraine everything possible that they need because Putin is not going to stop Ukraine. And anybody who believes that, I think, is sadly mistaken. And whatever we can do to supply Ukraine, yeah, let's do it. Okay, Mary, here's one of my texters who says, Jeff, the war is becoming very unpopular in Russia. I think that's true. If Ukraine starts bombing Russia, that will change. That will give all the excuses he, Putin needs to step up the, the um, attacks and use nuclear weapons. He's waiting for an excuse. So, in other words, the argument is, okay, um, if, if, if we allow Ukraine to respond in kind, that's just going to embolden Putin. I don't know. I'm not sure that that's the case at all. I think it might put more pressure on him to try to, um, to, try to have it, make a deal. Well, I don't think that there should be any dealing. You cannot, uh, you can't rationalize with somebody who's crazy. And we just need him out. We need to take out Putin. I know that sounds awful, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's what we have to do is get rid of him. 
And uh, whatever it costs, it costs. Let's just do it. Thanks to call, Mary. Appreciate it. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Now, you know, you can mark the tape on this. I have, I think the way NATO in general, and, and Biden in particular, have handled this so far has been appropriate. I, I don't support, you know, U.S. troops in Ukraine or NATO troops in Ukraine. And, and I think that they've handled this appropriately. But the problem is now the nature of the war is changing and, Given that Putin can't accomplish what he sought to accomplish with conventional forces, now it's just a situation, like I say, it's it's London towards the end of, of World War II, where Hitler is killing more civil where Hitler is killing more civilians in London by sending in all the bombs and stuff than, than he was, you know, um, troops on, on the battlefield. It, it was that idea that here we're going to try to kill so many people that we can force them to concede. And I guess at some point in time, if you've got the technology to allow Ukraine to respond, don't you have to, to do that? Or do you have to just say, okay, well, we're just going to allow Putin to continue to lob as many cruise missiles or whatever type of bombs he wants, and, and we're going to take it until he completely and totally, I don't know, if you if you want to talk about the humanitarian disaster that they have now, can, can you imagine if this goes on for another four or five months, sending missile after missile into heavily civilian areas, just destroying all the infrastructure? Let's talk to James on the south side. James, good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff, uh, maybe tit for tat. What, hey, if they're going to uh, do that to their uh, grid and everything else over there uh, in the Ukraine, why not do it to Russia? Hey, those people in Russia are, are, are not don't have all those perks and benefits. Uh, so, so something's going to happen. You're going to you're going to have to have some darn. Something is going to move forward one way or the other. Well, no, thanks to college. I mean, that that's now, and again, I'm getting a number of texts, and I appreciate it. This is, this is the question that you face. And one of our texters says, Jeff, can this turn into World War III? Well, I, I mean, I guess the way it, it turns into World War III is if Ukraine starts being more offensive, and they're, they're already starting to do this. I mean, what's the story that you had, uh, uh, let's see, on Monday, explosions, and these weren't those missiles, these these were others, explosions struck two Russian air bases, including one that is a staging area for long-range bombers. The Russian Defense Ministry said that Ukraine had used drones to carry out the attack, which damaged two uh, U.S. aircraft and killed three Russian troops. Now, there, there's not evidence that suggests that this is U.S. weaponry that was used to, to carry this out, but clearly Ukraine, I think, has decided that, all right, we're not just going to sit here and, and be a, a sitting duck for all this. You know, we're, we're going to respond. Now, what we don't know is how, if this increases and you start having more bombings on Russian territory, what, what does that make Putin do? Does it make him more likely to come to the bargaining table, or does it make him more likely to try to escalate this not only with ukraine but with like uh, again some of the surrounding countries 855-616-1620 that's the wtmj talk and text line let's talk to uh denny in uh denny you're on wtmj good afternoon hi jeff i was in the military in 1969-77 and i studied the russians and a potential nuclear attack or a Mm -hmm. missile coming over the north pole this whole thing boils down to they got 5,500 warheads, nuclear warheads. We have 5,500. We each have 1,500 of the most devastating weapons ever built. How far can you push him before he decides I've had enough? Maybe you can. Maybe he'll never say I'll never launch. But maybe if he launches, you go to mutually assured destruction. 
he's pretty crazy, and he's getting heat from his own people. That's a decision you got to make. Okay, and so so what, so one. no, it is, and that, it, it is. So so so, what do you do if he's if he's changed his strategy, recognizing that winter's coming on, he can't win the land war. You've already you know uh, drafted you know tens of thousands of Russians. That's extremely unpopular. You've got all these casualties that you didn't advance, and so now your strategy is let's take all our long range missiles and let's just try to blow Ukraine back into the Stone Age. On the flip side. Can, can you let that happen? You know, can the Ukraine allies just let them be sitting ducks? It's a brutal decision to make. I yeah. was there. It's yeah. a brutal decision to make. Yeah. But if the alternative is if we push too hard yep. and the world goes to mutually assured destruction, God, I love the Ukrainian people more than you can believe. I love Zelensky. But that's the decision that you ultimately got to get down to. Yeah. No, no. Thanks for calling. You know, I, I, I appreciate it. I mean, and that's. That is the difficulty, and like I say, that's why I have an. I, I think the, the approach to NATO, like I said a couple of minutes ago, and the approach that Biden has had has been very, very reasonable. We're we're going to provide Ukraine what it needs to defend itself, but we're going to put limits on Ukraine becoming, you know, offensive. You know, and the idea being we're we're going to try to let them drive back Russia, but not take the war to Russia. Well, Russia's changed the tactics now. I mean, Russia's recognizing that what they were doing wasn't succeeding, so they're trying to do something different. I guess the question is, do you need to change the tactics with regard to that? And I just don't I mean, again, it, as I said earlier at the start of this thing, it, it's kind of like being a little pregnant. I, I just, I, I don't think you can just allow Vladimir Putin to send cruise missile after cruise missile into Kiev and, and just completely destroy the, you know, the entire, you know, electric grid, create this humanitarian crisis in the middle of winter where people don't have heat and they don't have electricity and all these things. Um, and not give Ukraine the ability to respond. Now, I'm not saying you drop bombs on, on St. Petersburg or things like that, but if you've got some of these like long range, you know, airstrips and things like that, and you take out a few planes, I, I don't know. I don't think that, uh, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. But this is where we're, we're faced now. The U.S. made the intentional decision that they weren't going to provide the, the weaponry which allowed the, the long range sort of the offensive thing. I get all that, but now the question is, all right, is this, in defending your major cities, do you need to go on offense? Welcome back. All right, first and most importantly, as you've been hearing about, we're in the middle of our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign, and we've got a little fun thing going on at the station, and you can help out by donating. Help children in need from Wisconsin enjoy the holiday season as WTMJ partners with Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. Kids to Kids Christmas. We are raising money to purchase toys for kids in our area. Every 25 bucks, just 25 bucks, helps two kids celebrate the season. So let's see how many kids we can help. Now, we've got a friendly competition underway among the various WTMJ shows. Which show can help the most kids? Here's what you do to find information. You can simply text the word KIDS, K-I-D-S, to the WTMJ talk and text line. That's 855-616-1620. And then, if you're willing to make a donation, we'll send you this link, and you can pick the show, whether it's Wisconsin's Morning News, Afternoon News, the Scavidi Show, or my show, and you can make a donation. Now, the important thing is that you make the donation, but we have a little friendly competition going here as well. Help WTMJ help children in need with Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. And um, the other way... That, 
If you don't want to text kids and fool with the text line, just go to our website, WTMJ.com. There's a banner headline that says donate, you know, help with the toy drive, and then you can just click on that, and then make it really easy. You click on the show, you put in how much you want to donate, and then kind of we're off to the races. So very much appreciate that. And, again, it's a friendly competition between the shows, but the important thing is we want to raise money for this wonderful cause. Okay, the final Jeopardy! Answer is May 11th, 2005. May 11th, 2005. I I won't even take calls because I suspect nobody is going to get this. May 11th, 2005. President Bush Bush signed into law the Emergency Supplemental Appropriation for Defense and Terrorism Relief Act of 2005. As part of that act... We had the Real ID proposal, improved security for driver's licenses and for personal identification cards. And so you will remember this this set up federal standards for driver's licenses. So up until up until at least this this law, what happened is each states would issue their own driver's licenses and there are all sorts of different you know security requirements and things like that. This standardized that. And so what happened is, as a result of this law, the Real ID Act, if you wanted to use your driver's license to travel, I don't know, to get onto airplanes or to uh, travel overseas, or it is identification um, in conjunction with your passport, or you wanted to get on trains or use all sorts of other things, the only acceptable form of identification was going to be one of these Real ID cards which had some extra degrees of scrutiny. Now, in Wisconsin, we we have the real ID cards that are there. In any event, May 11th of 2005 was when Congress passed the law requiring this. And because it it required the states to adapt to things and all, there was a phase-in period that that occurred. And originally, the states were given, I think, three or four years to kind of get their act together. And that would have taken until like 2008 or 2009. And then, let's see, 2008, all 50 U.S. jurisdictions received an initial extension from the Department of Homeland Security, giving them more time to kind of get their act together and get this real ID card stuff going. That went until uh, December 31st, 2009. December 31st, 2009, uh, the deadline was extended to May 10th of 2011. So six years, essentially, after the act was passed, states had you know six years to comply. Well, what happens is March 20th of 2011, you've got uh, the uh, Homeland Security Secretary under Barack Obama extends the deadline to January 15th, 2013. Okay, and then what happened is it got extended beyond that. It got extended beyond that. And we still do not have the real ID requirements in place. Yesterday, the Department of Homeland Security said it will extend the real ID enforcement date by 24 months until May 7th of 2025. The previous enforcement date was set to go into effect in under five months, May of 2023. All right, so let's kind of back up and take the big picture. I understand that there's a lot that's happened since May 11, 2005. 
you've had the, 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 the ramp up to get this done. You've had the pandemic and things like that. But May 11th, 2005 is when this act was passed. Now, May 7th of 2025, which for all intents and purposes is 20 years, states will have had 20 years to impose these real ID requirements and get this working. And I guess my my question is, at this point in time, I, well, I guess it's two-part. First of all, wh- why bother? I mean, if, if we have been able to go for the last 20 years and not get our act together on this, you know, what... What, what, why don't we just recognize that maybe this isn't that important? I guess that's one option. The other thing, and this is from somebody who has a real ID and has a passport and all that sort of stuff, I, I think, how can we keep passing this back and forth and back and forth and delaying and delaying and delaying? You can, you put a man on the moon in 1969, for goodness sakes. Look at all the accomplishments we've done. How in the world can it take 20 years to implement a real ID law? And the fact, I think, that we have not been able to implement the real ID law, and this is Democrat presidents, it is Republican presidents, just just shows that I think we're, at the end of the day, when it comes to trying to stop domestic terrorism, I think the real ID law makes a lot of sense. But apparently we our heart is just not in it when we keep extending it and extending it and extending it and extending it. There is no way that this should have, regardless of whether you think it's a good idea or not, there is no way it should have taken 20 years to be implemented. And I guess, like I say, right now we're in year 17 or 18, but it's going to be extended for another couple. And I, there's nothing to indicate that, you know, six months before the 2025 deadline, they'll probably extend it for another three years. I mean, I think at some point in time, we need to either take a step back and say, why haven't we done this? Or is it not worth it? And if it's not worth it, okay, that's fine. We make the decision that it's not worth it. But if we do believe that this is important for internal security, how in the world can you let it go 20 years without being implemented? Your government at work. A lot of people weighing in on the text line about the, the real ID law. And I guess I don't I don't want to get into a debate on the merits of whether the the real ID law, you know, having the, the federal standards and things like that, whether that that's going to make us safer or, or not. I, I I happen to support it, but but that's not the point. <laughs> Congress passed the real ID law in May of two thousand five, two thousand five. And now, with the latest announcement uh, yesterday, it's not going to go into effect until 2025, 20 years. I mean, how, how can it take so long to get something done? And again, if, if, if we think that this is important to stop terrorism, Jeff, I seriously question that we really did put a man on the moon in a decade if we can't even accomplish something this straightforward in two um jeff they should not have extended at this time it's time to stop blaming the pandemic for everything the the state could have put this in by may of 2023 time to put up or shut up jeff i got my real id in wisconsin in 2013 i renewed it in 2021 if this can't get if they can't get this right it shows dot 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 yeah i mean that's I guess, again, that's the whole point. Whether you think it's a good idea, whether you think it makes us safer, whether you think it's just an inconvenience, doesn't matter. We've been jerking around for now 20 years to have something this simple implemented. All right. I have a question. I've been following this this complete and total collapse of the, the crypto industry. 
and you have um, th- this exchange. I'm going to try to make this really as simple as I possibly can. And I understand for people who are really into this cryptocurrency and stuff that this is an oversimplification. But um, FTX was this giant clearinghouse um, for, for crypto where you could you could take your money and you can you could put it on this this account, this this FTX exchange. And then theoretically, that would be your money. And you could, you know, cash out if you wanted. You could use it to make investments, all those type of things. It now turns out that the guy that ran FTX, who why he is not in prison is just absolutely beyond me. His name is Sam Bankman Freed. What he was doing is he was taking people's money and he was investing it in this other company that he owned, which was then making all these sort of risky bets in the crypto field. So what ended up happening is people who thought they had money in in their account, like they thought they had money in a bank account or something like that, um, found that, no, they, they really didn't, that the money that they had had been invested in other places. And because it's crypto and it's the wild, wild west, um, there's not... There's not FDIC insurance. There's not regulators. Because look, you got a bank account. You know, you put your money in your bank account. Well, the bank, the bank has an obligation to you, but but they're making investments and stuff. They're like lending mortgages. That's how banks make money and things like that. But there, there's regulations and there's regulators that go and they say, okay, you have to have this many, this much in reserves for all of this. Um, so we, we make sure the bank doesn't go under, and we've got federal insurance in case something really weird happens. Well, none of that applies to the, the crypto market, and it appears that this guy stole billions of dollars. That That's just the only way to look at it, billions of dollars. So you've got all these people who are essentially out of luck. There, there's no... There's no regulations right now that protect them. There's no insurance that protects them. It's just it's just gone. Now, if you will remember back to the Super Bowl earlier this year, January, February, whenever they played the Super Bowl, it seemed like almost one out of every three commercials that were airing were people telling us that unless we're putting our money in cryptocurrencies, we are idiots. You know, Matt Damon has this commercial talking about how people, you know, View, we, we would never have had the, the new world discovered if people you know, didn't have the vision to look forward. You had Larry David, who was doing these commercials, suggesting that people who didn't think that uh, crypto was a good investment were the, the same people who opposed developing the wheel or people who thought the earth was flat and all that sort of stuff, mocking those of us who thought that this was essentially a giant Ponzi scheme because with cryptocurrency, what you're doing is you're just – you are betting – it doesn't do anything. You're just simply betting that, hey, I've paid $100 for a token that just kind of exists in theory, and I'm betting that I can sell that token to my producer, Charlie, for 125 bucks, and I can make $25. That That's it. Well, what does the token do? Well, the token doesn't do anything. The token is just like a representation of, of something. It, and so I, I never understood cryptocurrency. I always thought it was going to implode, and you've had – several situations and now you know billions be as in billions of dollars just completely and totally lost and for the people who made these investments well there's pretty much nothing you can do because i think this money is largely it's just flat out gone so your investments just history now the question though is does this mean the end of cryptocurrency our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Now, I, I remember when we had this conversation after the Super Bowl, and I was just simply saying, man, I'm, I'm telling you, maybe I'm just old-fashioned here, but 
when, when it comes to stuff that does nothing, stuff that doesn't – businesses that don't provide a service, businesses that don't provide a product – I, I understand in theory how cryptocurrency works, but to me, like I say, it's just this giant kind of Ponzi scheme where I'm betting that I can buy something and I can convince somebody else down the road to pay me more for it, even though there's nothing intrinsic in it that the value is increased. It's not like, hey, I've got I've got a share of Apple and Apple's just come out with the new iPhones and their profits are going through the roof. I just or you know I've got a share of Ford stock and Ford is selling more cars or whatever. So I, I didn't understand crypto. I mean I theoretically understand what it is, but I would have never invested a dollar in it, um, regardless of what Matt Damon said or Larry Damon said or Larry David said or Tom Brady said. Would have never invested a dollar because I, I think you know what happened in these unregulated industries where you get these shady characters that this this was inevitable my only surprise is that it 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 crashed as quickly as it did so my question is all right do you think this marks the end for cryptocurrency or are there still going to be people out there that are going to be wanting to buy into this seeing what has happened not just to FTX but happened to all these other investment firms as well that traffic in crypto 8556161620 as for me maybe this means i will never be a rich guy but nah that, there is no way that i would invest a dime in any of this 855-616-1620. Jeff, it's not going to be the end of cryptocurrency. Too many people involved, 5,000-plus cryptocurrencies out there. I tried $1,000 for fun in 2021. I have a whopping $200 to show for it. Boy, did I learn my lesson. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like... Okay, you go to Las Vegas, and you know, right? I, I understand you can take some money, you put it on the roulette wheel, and you try to play, you know, black or whatever. The at least in Las Vegas, you get a drink and a show. Cryptocurrency, you don't get any of that. Jeff, the great showman P.T. Barnum once said, "There's a sucker born every minute." You bet, people will be ready to dump their cash in the next coming of crypto, whatever it is that that might um, be. Um, Jeff, I want to thank you for your constant skepticism of cryptocurrency over the years. Between your skepticism and our trusted financial advisor, we never put money into cryptocurrency. But I know people who have lost big money because of, because of it. Well, my, my point has always been, and maybe this is just me, if you can't explain to me what the investment is, um, I, I just I, – I, and, and you can't do it in like two two sentences – I'm going to be extremely skeptical. I mean, the whole history behind this cryptocurrency went back to 2008 when you had some academic, and this was at the time of the, you know, the banks too big to fail sort of collapse. Who said, well, we need this alternative financial system and we need to separate ourselves from like greenbacks and things like that that are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. So let's get this alternative sort of thing that was out there, this alternative kind of currency. Well, the, the problem with this is it's not regulated. It is literally the wild, wild west. People think that they're going to make a fortune in this. They jump in, and then you've got these shady operators. And, and I say again, this this guy that ran FTX, this Sam Bankman-Fried, why he is not behind bars at this point in time is just absolutely beyond me because he took billions of dollars and just flat out stole it. That's what's happened here. So until there's a lot more regulation, until somebody makes this a lot simpler, I, I'm sorry, I cryptocurrency at least no direct investment somebody's saying well you might be indirectly invested in it if, if you've got a mutual fund that owns bank stocks um maybe 
but hopefully not too terribly much because it is a dreadful, dreadful investment. And all you have to do is look at what's going on. Lots more coming up right after the news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Mike Spaulding, this is your fault. I'm having one of my head explodes moments, so I'm glad there's nobody on the other side of this floor-to-ceiling glass down here at our studios in the Avenue, and I'm glad that there's glass separating us from my producer, Charlie. You, however, in the line of fire. Would you replay that story you played during the news, please? Absolutely. You want the whole thing? I want the whole thing. Let's, okay. get, let's get the context. So a 10-year-old boy from Milwaukee who was accused of shooting right. and killing his mother last month is being right. charged as an adult with first-degree homicide. There was a press conference today in which people spoke about how they were in opposition to a 10-year-old being charged as an adult. The following bite is from Sylvester Brown. He is with the group Believers for Change in Milwaukee. His opinion is that the boy should go through juvenile court. Let's get him mental health. It's two sides of laws in this state, one for blacks and brown and one for whites. What we're saying is if it ain't one justice, then we need to fix the situation. That is Sylvester Brown. He is with the group Believers for Change. They are advertised as a youth advocacy and reentry organization. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. You, you, you better get out of this. Yeah, room I'm going to go now. Because I'm going to go. The head might explode. All right. Now, this, this is the story that it broke last week, and it, it just doesn't get any worse than this. Originally, it was reported as a, a 10 year old who had accidentally shot his, his mother. Okay, well, now we know that that's not what happened. This was an intentional homicide. The kid was mad because his mother would not buy him a virtual reality headset. Now, let me just kind of review this. The shooting occurred 7 a.m., November 21st, North 87th Street. According to the criminal complaint, the boy originally told officers he got the gun from his mother's bedroom, went to the basement where his mom was doing laundry. He said he was twirling the gun around his finger when it accidentally fired. The boy told his 26-year-old sister, who called 911. Police allowed him to stay with the family because of his age. And originally, they said this happened because there was a child playing with a gun. Day later, relatives called the police with their concerns. When the boy's aunt arrived to pick him up from the house, she asked him where the house keys were. He grabbed the keys and said he had hidden them from his mother. The set of keys contained one that opened a lockbox where the boy's mother stored a handgun. When his aunt questioned him about the shooting, the boy said he pointed the gun at his mom, who then said to him, why do you have that? Put that down. The boy never cried, showed any remorse about his mother's death. His aunt and sister told police. The boy, the two also learned the boy had logged onto his mother's Amazon account and ordered an Oculus virtual reality headset on November 22nd, the morning after he shot her. The same morning, the boy physically attacked his seven-year-old cousin and had to be pulled off the child. His aunt then drove the boy to the grandmother's house to meet with child welfare workers. Um, uh, He then said, I'm really sorry for what happened. I'm sorry for killing my mom without empathy or compassion, according to the aunt. He then asked if his Amazon package had arrived. 
He then asked if his Amazon package had arrived. The boy had a history of unsettling behavior, the family told police. The criminal complaint included the following accounts from his family. When the boy was four, he swung the family's puppy by the tail until it howled in pain. His mother got rid of the dog because she feared it would defend itself and attack the boy. Throughout his life, relatives said he had rage issues. He is, by the way, 10. They described him as intelligent and manipulative. His mother eventually stopped sharing details about his behavior, and no family members would agree to babysit him. Six months ago, the family told police the boy filled a balloon with a flammable liquid and set it on fire in the family's home, causing an explosion that burned furniture and the carpet. When his mother asked why he would do something like that, he said two sisters told him to do it. Um, when he was questioned further, the boy said he hears five different imaginary people talking to him, two sisters, one older woman, one man, and a second man who he described as mean. After learning new details from the family, police interviewed the boy again. This time he told police he aimed the gun at his mother with two hands while in a shooting stance. He said he tried shooting a wall to scare her when she walked in front of him, then he shot her. The boy told police he got the gun from a lockbox that morning because his mother woke him up early at 6 a.m. instead of 6.30 a.m. And because she would not allow him to buy something on Amazon he wanted, he told police he understand guns can kill people. Um, okay, so, and in Wisconsin, what happens is for first-degree intentional homicide, you charge as an adult, and the prosecution can make the decision if it wants to, you know, waive him into juvenile court. If he is treated as a juvenile, what happens is, well, he he ends up essentially when he turns 18, he is turned loose into society. He, he gets treatment. If he is treated as an adult, well, then what can happen is it's not like they put a 10-year-old in Wapan, but, you know, he, he still goes through like the juvenile process. Um, but then once he's 18, then, then he goes to prison and he's, you know, restrained for a while. In order to um, get the case moved back to juvenile court, the defense must prove the child cannot get adequate treatment in the adult system. Moving the case to juvenile court would not depreciate the seriousness of the offense, and staying in adult court is not necessary to deter other children from similar offenses. And so we played you the clip on the guy from Believers of Chains, Change who says, and candidly, I have no idea what the hell he's talking about. This, that there, there's two sides of the law in this state, and he's making racial references and things like that. I, I, I mean, like, um, you have a 10-year-old who appears to be a monster who intentionally shot and killed his mother, who had engaged in all sorts of antisocial behavior before that. And you're suggesting that somehow justice would not be served if you treated him as an adult. Like I say, the way this works is even if he's convicted as an adult, what happens is he he doesn't go right into Wapan, but it gives you an opportunity to say, okay, for the next seven or eight years, you're going to be in a secure sort of situation, but you're still treated as a juvenile and you can get that sort of help. But we're not going to just automatically dump you back into society. And my question to be, were all those people who were at the press conference today talking about, oh, this is terrible. Okay, who's going to volunteer? You're going to volunteer to take this kid home once he's released from the system in seven years? Our number, 855 
616-1620. That is a WTMJ talk and text line. Now, look, I, I think if general rule, you say, well, do you treat a 10-year-old as an adult? The answer is, of course not. But in this particular case, the, the kid, I think, has clearly demonstrated that he is fill-in-the-blank, sociopath, psychopath, whatever. He killed his mother. I think you can make an argument that he did it with premeditation. He got the keys got the gun, confronted her when she said no, he was angry, and he shot and killed her. I believe at the age of 10, you know right from wrong, or at least you know that you're not supposed to you know, kill other people. And then if you want to really understand what a sociopath this kid is, his big question after he has murdered his mother is, hey, did my gaming system come? All right, is this an outrage to try this kid as an adult, which again means he doesn't, go right into the adult prison system, but it means that you have an opportunity to keep him behind bars for 20, 30 years, as opposed to just dumping him back out on society in a relatively few. 855-616-1620, that's a WTMJ talk and text line. And for the life of me, I, I do not understand the references to race. Two sides of law in the state, I, I and again, I, I don't know, I, I assume from these comments that the kid is black. I, I don't know that for sure. But regardless, I mean, I, I wouldn't care if this kid was white or black or brown. Under these circumstances, is is there any any rational world that you turn him loose in a couple years? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. We have a couple of our crank cranky listeners. Well, Jeff, what about the Slenderman case? You thought those kids should be turned loose. I, 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 what? What show were you listening to? I mean, I understand there's this knee-jerk reaction when people want to see things in racial terms, but on this show, the Slenderman case where those two psycho girls who attacked the, the kid, their, their friend with the knives and stuff, nope. I was not the guy saying, oh, let's feel sorry for these kids. I was the guy saying, lock these kids up and keep them locked up for a long time. But this is, of course, th- this is even worse than that because at least in one, the Slenderman case, I-, I think you clearly had mental illness, at least on the part of one of the kids for sure. Um, but this, this one is just true evil. I mean, you have this kid who's been behaving in a psychopathic fashion for the longest time. You attack the puppy. You light the house on fire with a flammable balloon. You're aggressive towards everybody else. And then you murder your mother in cold blood. And the only thing that you're concerned about is, is where is my... Where, where where is my video game that I that I ordered? So look, I understand that there's some people who want to try to see double standards and stuff. My point is for anybody who thinks, oh, let's treat this kid as an adult, as a as a child, let's let's let him out in a few years. Okay, do you want to take him home? Do, do you want this kid moving in next door to you? No, this is a psychopath. And look, I, I hope you can get him some help. But the bottom line of all this is I'm just not comfortable enough with the uh, with the mental health system to say that, okay, if we treat this kid as a juvenile and we send him off to Lincoln Hills or some other detention thing and we try to, all right, let's get him some counseling and things like that, which I'm not opposed to. At at the same time, you turn him loose in a few years. (laughs) Do you want him living next to you? 855-616-1620. Jeff, the child needs to be locked up for life, treated as an adult. Dahmer started small as a child. He jumped right in. Um, Jeff, sadly, most of these kids don't have strong parental guidance. Because of that, the consequences of their action are put to the justice system. I don't know. It sounds like the mother, you know, tried to do everything that she possibly could. In, In this case, you just had this kid who's a monster, and I, I don't know what more that you can, you know, 
do. There's no question about that. Um, Jeff, what's the youngest that you would charge a child as an adult? 864? Well, the, the law in Wisconsin says 10, and in a case like this, I'm okay with that. And for people who don't like that, my question is, you want to take them home? I mean, that's, that's it. I, I'm comfortable with that. And again, I don't think that as a general rule, you should be charging 10-year-olds as adult. But this isn't the general case. It's not like he went out and stole a car. It's not that sort of situation. It's not like, oh, the kid went and soaped windows up or threw a rock through somebody's house. He executed his mother. He showed no remorse for this. And, again, how chilling must this be? Oh, yeah, I shot my mom. Where, where, did the video game come in the mail yet? Um, Jeff, the kid is in real life. He's Michael Myers. That's from the, you know, Halloween sort of situation. Um, I, and, again, I just I don't understand – I, I don't understand the playing the race card in this thing a, at all because I think most people would say, regardless of what the race of the kid is, his mother is dead. At some point, and look, and I, I appreciate if you want to try to work out, you know, reentry for for some people. And if you've got a kid who's a car thief or or whatever, okay, you know, maybe you can try to figure out some way of punishing him and also teaching him that you. You, you you know teaching him that there's there's consequences for bad behavior but but this isn't a car theft this is somebody is dead and one of the things that just just irks me constantly when we have these conversations is nobody thinks about the victim nobody thinks about the woman who's dead it's all well all oh, this poor kid you know obviously you know he's got he's troubled and we need to be concerned about him what where is the concern about the person who has been killed about this um, let's start and talk to Greg in West Dallas. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. I'm, I'm really disturbed by the comments that are being made. I, I think it goes beyond the racial issue, and I resent the fact that some stations in your listening area, including WTMJ and the so-called Truth at Night with Denise Thomas, is promulgating the same situation, that it's a racial problem and not that this person killed his mother outright. Yeah, again, I, well, Greg, I, again, I, I, don't, I don't know what goes on on other radio stations, and, and different hosts have different opinions, but this, this to me, to, this, is, this is one where I guess I was a little bit surprised that we're, we, we do have this race discussion, because to me, it, you, you've got, like you say, you, you've got a kid who is clearly a, psych, a psychopath, who has engaged in that sort of behavior. Now, I don't think anybody anticipated that he was going to get the gun and shoot the, the mother, but regardless of regardless of race, this this is an easy one. Some decisions are tough. You've got a 10-year-old who you can make a case, I think, just sat down and premeditated. Now, he hasn't been charged with first-degree intentional homicide yet, but I hear these facts. Sure sounds like the kid planned to kill his mother in this particular case. Um, um Let's see, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to um, Valerie in Milwaukee. Valerie, you're in WTMJ. Hi, good Hi. Morning, or afternoon now. Hi, my, my point on this is, yes, he does have psychological issues. However, these are the type of issues that are not going to go away. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with charging him as an adult. Then when he reaches adult age, he would go into a facility like Mendota, which will treat his mental illness, and only the doctors will determine if he's safe to come back into society. Nobody else. 
It should not fall on anybody that does not have the education to determine whether or not he is safe. And even then, they're good at fooling people. Look, there's too many cases where you see them. They're able to convince people they're healthy when they're not. So I do think he should be, even though he's only 10. Obviously, the mom knew there were issues. That's why there were all kinds of cameras in the house and everything Mm -hmm. else. And unless you've lived through something like that, you can't imagine how hard it is to get the help they need for children like this. And by the way, I am a nurse, and that's why I know a little more. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Val. And again, this is... Look, I think for people who say, well, I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to make the point, that if he is convicted as an adult at the age of, let's say, he'll be 11 at the time, it's not like you send him to a pond and he's sitting in the prison line with you know people who've been there for 25 or 30 years. That's not how the system works. But the problem is that if you treat him as a juvenile, once he hits 18, he's essentially you going to be back out in society. And so... Because the, the juvenile system, it's different. That, that's just the reality. There's different purposes behind the juvenile uh, system. It, the idea is, okay, we want to try to work on, you know, rehabilitation and things, you know, like like that. And um, you, you, plus there's all sorts of protections. Then there's, look, and I, I understand there, there's more on, on more services and rehabilitation. But let, let's, let us be honest here. Under the circumstances, how how in the world could you remove him to juvenile court and not depreciate the seriousness of the underlying uh, offense? I mean, I just think that's kind of the reality of what goes on here. And I, I do resent the idea that we're going to try to racialize this particular case as opposed to just looking at the facts. And where are the people who think about the victim? I mean, at the same, it's all, well, he's 10 years old. Let's think about him. Let's think about his mother who's dead, for goodness sakes. As rates and inflation still rise, how will the markets react? How much will a recession impact employment and earnings? Join WTMJ Steve Scafidi and Annex Wealth Management's president and CEO Dave Spano as they walk through expectations for the new year in a virtual webinar on Thursday, December 8th from 1 to 2 p.m. Inflation, bull markets, bear markets. Have all your 2023 financial questions answered on our virtual webinar presented by Annex Wealth Management. That is coming up day after tomorrow. Um, also want to just remind everybody, we are in the middle of our Kids to Kids Christmas toy drive. And, of course, the history of this you know, goes back years and years when Jonathan Green, our afternoon host of the Greenhouse, got together with Jim Kaczmarek from Capco, and they decided we, we want to try to do something for kids in need. And what we want to do is let, let's, try, let, let's try to get toys so we can you know, brighten their days. And, and it's just been amazing how successful that's become. Well, you have an opportunity to help children in need from Wisconsin enjoy the holiday season as, again, we partner with Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. We're raising money to help purchase toys for the kids in our area. Every $25 that you donate helps two kids celebrate the season. So we're in a friendly competition here. Let's see how many kids we can help. Um, which show? On WTMJ can help the most kids. You can text the words KIDS, K-I-D-S, to the WTMJ talk and text line, which is 855-616-1620. Then if you're willing to make a donation, you can just, you can see there's the various shows are listed and you can donate on, on behalf of one of those shows. If you don't want to fool around with the text line, just go to our website. It's WTMJ.com. You see this big banner, help out with kids to kids Christmas. You click on that and then you can make your contribution. And we're, um, 
Again, trying our best to raise as much money as we possibly can. That's why we did the holiday radio show. That's why we're doing a couple toy drives. I'm going to be out at the Century in Delafield, I think, a week from Thursday. But right now, we're, we're asking if you can see your way clear to help children in need with Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. And go to our website, WTMJ.com. Pick your favorite WTMJ show. And, well, you know, 25 bucks is great. 50 bucks is great. 500 bucks is better. It all goes to a very, very good cause. All right. Here is the story, and it happened, well, a little over 24 hours ago. Cudahy police say that shortly after noon yesterday, they got a 911 call from someone who said guns were pointed at him from a vehicle with three people inside near South Whitnell and East Grange Avenue in Cudahy. Now, even on the mean streets of Cudahy, this is not something that you would anticipate a little bit after noon, somebody or multiple people pointing guns at somebody driving on the street. The caller provided a detailed description of the vehicle, and within minutes, Cudahy officers located the vehicle. By the way, the vehicle had been reported stolen out of Illinois. So you've got this stolen car. You've got a bunch of people driving around Cudahy pointing guns at people. So the police do what the police should do, I think, is they try to pull it over. So what what happens nowadays? Well, you know, nobody pulls over or very few people pull over. The car takes off. Car refused to stop and a chase began. The vehicle was pursued on northbound 794 from East Edgerton Avenue. Now, again, we're talking about a little bit out of noon, outside of noon yesterday. Officials say speeds topped 100 miles an hour. So you've got these people in the car. It's a stolen car. They are fleeing from the cops in excess of 100 miles an hour. What happens is that the Cudahy police... Once the car hits about 100, they stop chasing the car at East Howard Avenue in St. Francis because they're they're afraid that they might get killed. They're afraid this car is going to kill somebody. Um, So they, they make the decision to stop. The car apparently does not stop, so they they lose sight of it, at least for a short period of time. A few minutes later, about 12.24 p.m., the car crashes near Veterans Park. Again, going at a very high rate of speed. That's along the, the lakefront there. And um, this happened after witnesses saw it run red lights and flip over. So the fact that the police chase had, had stopped does not stop these people from driving like psychotic maniacs. Two men, ages 23 and 24, and one woman, 19, all from Milwaukee, were arrested after the crash, police said. Inside the car, which again had been reported stolen out of Illinois, investigators found two guns. So um, let's see, one of the three, I believe, was taken to the hospital with life-threatening injuries because the car, it smashed into something and it rolled over, and one, I think, was ejected from the car and was underneath the car. So it's it, it's a, this bad sort of scenario. So let's kind of review the bidding here. You have... Three people, 19-year-old woman, 22-year-old, 23-year-old guy, 24-year-old guy, driving around armed in Cudahy in a stolen car, pointing guns at people. Um, when the cops show up, they take off, they drive 100 miles an hour, goes on the freeway, the chase goes for a little bit of time, 
and then the cops kind of pull back. They say, okay, this is just too crazy. They, they let the car go, and, of course, the car doesn't suddenly stop, drive, start driving in a responsible fashion, ultimately after blowing through multiple red lights, thankfully not hitting and killing anybody who would be in the fat, an, an innocent pedestrian or an innocent automobile driver. The car wipes out uh, by Veterans Park, and ultimately they're able to make the arrests. But th- this is it's a scary 20-some minutes at you know high noon on the freeway. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Now, they, they haven't released the names of the people involved yet. I mean, it goes without saying, at least my guess is, that when they release the names, this is not going to be their first time at the rodeo. My guess is you're going to have, now they're only 23, 24, and 19, so how much of an adult record they can have is kind of problematic. But my guess is this is, again, it's not going to be, whether it's juvenile convictions or adult convictions or charges, it's not going to be their first time at the rodeo because you just don't wake up one morning and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to have a stolen car from Illinois and I'm going to drive around pointing guns at people and flee the cops at 100-plus miles an hour. So I, I think... You've probably gotten some very, very bad, dangerous people off the street, at least temporarily, as as a result of this. And one of them appears to be seriously injured. But it was interesting because after this story, you know, broke, I, I I get some feedback from people, including this notion that, well, you know, when the cops chase them in the first place, they they put people at risk because yes, you've got the stolen car, yes, you've got the pointing guns. But if you hadn't chased them, maybe they would not have driven in this irresponsible fashion. Maybe it's just best to have let them go on and tried to find them later on. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, in this case, the Cudahy police began, began the chase. But they broke it off after a while, and we know it didn't stop the reckless driving from occurring. So the question is, should they have chased in the first place? Once they took off, should they have just let them go and said, okay, look, we've got the information. We'll try to find the car later on and get the people who are responsible for this. Should police be chasing in cases like this? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line we discuss in a moment. And again, I think it's important to note in this one that it's, the chase is not what ultimately led to the crash. In this case, you get the report that there's people, turns out they're in a stolen car. What's the surprise there? They've got guns. They're pointing guns at people on the street. And so the police try to apprehend them. They run. And then once they get on the freeway, they're going 100 miles an hour. The Cudahy police said, okay, we're going to back off because we don't want to endanger anybody. That backing off changed nothing because the car continued to drive in a reckless fashion, running through red lights, um, but for the grace of God, didn't kill anybody until it then wiped out by the by Veterans Park and that point in time they were able to apprehend three people one of them was trapped under the car and if it has life-threatening injuries who knows how that's going to turn out but that the question becomes should the cutting of police in, in, initiated the chase in the first place and I mean my point would be of course 
How could how could you not? You have people that are driving a, a stolen car that are pointing guns at people and showing that they have no regard for human life or anything around them by deciding to run. Now that that doesn't mean you follow every chase to you know its logical conclusion. And in this case, the Cudahy police decided, hey, this is just getting too crazy, and, and we're going to end up letting them go, hoping that we're going to catch them later on. I think the Cudahy police did exactly what they were supposed to, you know, uh, do. Jeff, my question is, if they're pointing guns at people, um, when is that the kind that police are going to chase? After people are dead? Um, and well, that that's exactly it. You have, this isn't even, gee, we have a car that we pulled over because it's got a broken taillight, and now they've taken off, and we, we don't know why it is that they're running. This is a situation where you know you've got people with with guns that are in that car, how can you just let them, you know, drive off without at least attempting to apprehend them? And if it turns out, you know, but let's say you decide not to initiate the chase at all to try to catch them, and it turns out that, I don't know, 30 minutes later, they see somebody else, and one of them shoots the gun and kills the person. How then do you explain to the public at large, well, yeah, we had this report, we saw the car, and we just kind of let them drive off. Jeff, how did we get to a point where unlawful and at times downright evil behavior as is excused and those asking for justice are frowned upon? Yeah, I think you got a point um, there. Okay, Dan in Kenosha. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Yeah, I, I think in that very specific situation, I agree that uh, the Cudahy police acted uh, accordingly. But um, I think you look at it each individual situation from a risk-based standpoint um obviously if the reasonable risks far outweigh the benefits of apprehending um uh, in that particular incident it's absolutely situational then you have to ask the question on the grand scheme of things law enforcement is also a deterrent so um but uh, you can't ask a police officer in a specific situation to think of the deterrent piece of it it's it's each individual case well yeah i mean obviously dan thanks for calling i mean obviously you you have to make here, here here i guess is how i look at this as a default position if somebody runs from the police i say you chase them <laughs> i mean I just, and maybe that's kind of overly simplistic but of course you know and, and we this is, is a general rule you know, what you see is you see you know, the, the car will be driving recklessly and blowing through red lights. And, and we know, especially around here, I mean, the vast, at least a good portion of the time, it's going to be a stolen car and it's going to be kids who think it's fun or whatever. And they're blowing through red lights and driving in a reckless fashion. I don't think I don't think you could just let them drive off as a general rule because, you know, chances are you're going to find the car abandoned or crashed or something. The kids will be gone and they're going to be out stealing somebody else's car. So I think as a default position, you run, the cops should chase. Now, I, I agree with you to an extent where you say it's situational. You you always have to be mindful of is the car being driven so recklessly 
that it provides, you know, a, a danger to pedestrians or a, a danger to, you know, other motorists. But the problem a lot of times is the reason they're being chased in the first place is they're driving 90 miles an hour and blowing through red lights. But I, I agree, you have to do that balancing. But then when you add other factors, when you say, okay, the people in that car are armed and they're pointing guns at people, to me, that, that gives you just another reason why you have to do everything you possibly can to do the the chases. Um so, you know, that's that's it. Jeff, just because we hear about an occasional chase in the news doesn't mean the police are constantly chasing the maniac drivers, and the drivers know that. There are plenty that get away without a chase. Well, I don't know that there's plenty that get away without a chase. In Milwaukee, for years, the policy was to let them drive off, and all we saw that policy do was lead to more people running and more reckless driving. In this particular case, I, I think the Cudahy police did absolutely the right thing but the larger issue once again is just how out of control it's gotten around here this was high noon this was high noon on the i'm kidding around with the mean streets of cut you've got three people stolen car pointing guns at people and then driving you know on the freeway at 100 miles an hour now and i don't know the records but my hope is that all three of them um, assuming that the third one survives, that all three of them are charged with all sorts of offenses, that they are put in prison for a lengthy period of time because, again, I don't know that, I don't know, I don't know that putting them in prison for a long period of time is going to deter others from doing this, but I do know that if you put them in prison for a long period of time, at least they're not going to be out threatening honest, law-abiding citizens. And maybe at the end of the day, that's what we should be trying to accomplish. Somebody was asking whether the car involved was a Kia. I can't tell. I'm looking at pictures, and it's it, it's it's pretty messed up. I mean, it flipped over, and somebody was thrown from the car and was under the car and things like that. can't tell if it was a Kia or not. And, and by the way, this isn't – I mean, the carnage around here just – just continues. Um, here's another story. Police say a 19-year-old man from Illinois is dead and three others were hurt following a collision at 13th in Oklahoma um, about 12.30 a.m. this morning. Here's the story here. Officials say the guy from Illinois, 19-year-old, driving an SUV west on Oklahoma at a high rate of speed and, wait for it, blows a stoplight. The SUV struck a car with three people inside. Now, the thing that happens a lot of times in these stories is it's the car that gets hit by the reckless driver, and, and that's where you know the people end up dying. In this case, um, the car that was hit um, ended up uh, being, let's see, driving the car. The 24-year-old Milwaukee man who was driving the car was taken to the hospital and treated for minor injuries. 23-year-old male passengers, also from Milwaukee, were um, not injured. The Illinois driver was taken to the hospital but later died of his injuries. So in, in this particular situation, you never want to have any of this stuff happen, but at least in this particular case, the, the person that died was the person that was driving recklessly and blew through the red light, and that makes it a little bit unusual. But again, it, it underscores the story about 
you're just not safe anywhere on, on the roadways. And I, I think it's gotten worse. I think it is continuing to get worse. I don't know what the answer is other than, you know, when you f- catch these reckless drivers, what you have to do is you have to make sure that they are punished. Now, in this case, you can't punish the guy because he's dead, but just an, an object lesson here about every time you get behind the wheel of the car, especially around here, you take your life in your own hands. All right. Some unique stuff coming up in the next hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Well, so much for the cancel culture. You know, Morgan Wallen, who is the country music singer who... Felt, ran afoul of the cancel culture um, F back in 2021 where he he was he lives in Nashville and he's out drinking with some of his buddies and he, they, they drop him off at home and, and one of his friends who happens to be black he's using racial slurs clearly inappropriate comments directed to him not in a necessarily nasty way it's like hey take care of this guy he's you know blank and this is all captured on some neighbor's a garage camera and it goes public you know tmz runs this and then you know everybody says okay that's it we're going to cancel him his booking agency pulls out he has his songs pulled from country radio stations um he's ineligible for the american country music awards he he apologizes says i'm, I'm sorry about this well okay efforts to cancel him apparently haven't worked he's since returned to radio he's touring he's back winning all sorts of award shows matter of fact this year he won the american country music award for album of the year won two American Music Awards. His double album called Dangerous became the longest-running album for a solo artist in any genre in the top 10 of the Billboard 200 chart. And American Family Field had originally announced that he was going to be performing. As a matter of fact, the start of his latest tour was going to be at American Family Field on April 15th. Well, yesterday... Yesterday, they announced that the demand is so great that he's still going to be at American Family Field, but he's going to be for two nights, back-to-back. So the concert and the tour will now start on the 14th. Um, So it just... Just, um, just absolutely uh, amazing that he's, you know, getting all this sort of support that's there. Newly added show. So for everybody who thought that, well, you can't come back from these things and situations. This particular case of uh, the, the effort to kind of cancel him, uh, the fans said otherwise, and so Morgan Wallen will be doing two shows at American Family Field. All right, let us switch gears as we we move towards the end of the year. I'm, I'm using some stuff that's happened at the beginning or during the year to kind of take a a look back at some things. And I want to do that for two different topics in this hour of the program. Okay, first of all, every year at the end of the year or during the middle of the year, automakers make a decision as to what car models they are not going to be bringing back. Um, For example, um, I'm I'm looking at some that that just didn't live to see the, the 2022 model year. Um, Lots of cars from BMW. Several BMWs didn't make it. The Jeep Grand Cherokee SRT, the Dodge Durango didn't make it. The Hyundai Velocitor, you know, ended up not making it. The Mazda CX-3, the Mazda 6, which is a, a relatively popular sedan, 
um, and then several versions of the Mercedes, including a lot of their V8 engines. Uh, a couple of the Nissans didn't make it. Lots of cars end up, and this happens just because things change every year. Automakers decide we're, we're going to move forward. You know, Lincoln, for example, made the decision a couple of years ago that they no longer make a sedan. I know a lot of people, you know, loved loved Lincoln, which is kind of the luxury model, uh, the luxury version of the Fords, loved them. But Lincoln's, they don't even make sedans anymore. What they end up doing is they make you know, it's just it's just SUVs. So you're you're seeing this emergence, and there's some people that are these driving these cars. As a matter of fact, nowadays it's relatively even tough to find sedans because the money is apparently in SUVs, and the demand is apparently in SUVs. So we're seeing another model year end, and we're seeing all sorts of vehicles that are being essentially kicked to the curb by the automakers because they, they need to move on for a number of various reasons. And I thought we would use this as an opportunity to have a little bit of fun in this segment of the program. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. My guess is somewhere, sometime over the course of your lifetime, you have had a vehicle that you really loved that they no longer make and you wish they made it. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Okay, the car that you had at one point in time and you really wish they still made it. 855-616-1620. What is that vehicle? We discuss in just a moment. I'm just looking at the list of some of the cars that um, are, are not making 2023. Um, let's see, uh, the Acura. Um, ILX, gone. Uh, the Acura NSX, the Buick Encore, which got, you know, a lot of attention, um, for quite a while. The Chevrolet Spark, which was, uh, one of the least expensive new cars in America. That didn't make it. The Chevrolet Trax, their compact SUV, um, not going to be produced. Let's see. The Honda Insight, that didn't make it. The Hyundai Accent, um, is gone. The Infiniti Q60, um, that's gone. The Jeep Grand Cherokee WK, that's gone. Then uh, the Lexus RXL, that one's gone. A couple of the Mercedes, the Nissan Rogue Sport, that one's gone. Toyota Avalon, just again, a, a Volkswagen Passat. My guess is a lot of people drove the Volkswagen Passat. Um, these cars, they're just, they were popular at the time. They sold, but now they're history. So thought we'd have a little bit of fun. All right. The car that you wish they still made. Let's start with Bonnie in Greenfield. Bonnie, you're on WTMJ. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I will miss this car for the rest of my life. It was a 2006 Saturn View. I had it for 15 years. It had 158,000 miles on it. I used it to help my nephew learn how to research cars, negotiate a price, and finance. I was the finance company. Um, <laughs> had he not put it into a ditch, had he not put it into a ditch, he, he, that sucker would still be running. I know it. <laughs> That's it. So, what did you love about it so much? Just dependable, cheap transportation. I don't think I've ever felt that safe in a car. It was a big, heavy, nice car. It was my first SUV. So maybe that's why I still have 
a little bit of a crush on it, but it just, I felt safe. It, I, I'm, a, I'm five foot one. Yeah. I could actually see over <laughs> cars in this SUV. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the funny thing. Um, my, my wife um, is 5'4", five, 5'4", four, five, four, five, five, perfect size. But that, that was it until she started to drive. But she always had cars. And I said, well, no, get, try the SUV. And then once she started getting the SUV, she said, my gosh, it's like this whole other world out there. You can, you're, you're a little bit higher up. You can see over these vehicles and things like that. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to uh, Julie in Appleton. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, um, I had a Pontiac G6. And it it had a six-cylinder engine, but it ran like a V8 engine. So I had a lot of giddy-up-and-go. And the heater was the absolute best heater I could ever imagine in a car. So, And I had a 66 Impala four-door <laughs> during nursing school at UWM that got me to clinical every single morning. In the winter, the, so. now the G six that was that was a sedan I think that they made for about four or five years, like two thousand five yeah. to two thousand ten or something like that. It was the heater that drew you in, huh? Well, when when that car went away, I was so sad because I froze ever since. So <laughs> I don't know. I want that car back. There you go. No, thank, thanks for call. I appreciate it. That's okay. Um, three words. Three words. Heated steering wheel. I was did a topic about this last week or two weeks ago or something. I always thought that this was that was just one of these incredibly stupid luxuries. Why would people pay for something like this? And I, I, I got it on one of the cars I, I car I bought a couple of years ago, and it just the the package. It, it came with a heated steering wheel. It wasn't that I paid extra for it. And now that's the car that my wife is driving, and she she teases me all the time about how much she loves. The heated steering wheel that I don't happen to have in the car I'm driving right now. Go figure. Jesse in New Berlin. Jesse, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. Uh, yes, uh, the car that I would love to see make a comeback or the one I miss is a Hummer. Okay. It was made by GMC. Yeah. God, it, it was just such an amazing vehicle, especially for these uh, pothole-filled roads. And the winter, you know, winter weather, it was just one of those vehicles that you felt much more uh, comfortable in. What did you get, like five miles a gallon gas or something like that? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Definitely there was a cost for it. Sure. Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right. But it was definitely still a very nice uh, a comfort vehicle. Okay. Well, thank that. Big right. No, thanks, thanks for the call. I, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I remember looking at those Hummers and I'm thinking, okay, I wonder... I wonder what the mileage is going to be like on that. I, I suspect that's probably one of the reasons they don't make them as much anymore is because you've um, is because you know you've got these mileage standards that you have to meet, and uh, probably tough to do that with the Hummer. Jay and Racine, Jay, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, how are you today? I am well, thank you. And yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, mine would be the Pontiac Vibe. It was a collaboration between Toyota and Pontiac, right? And it was it was the most best utility car I've ever had. You could put the seats down. I could haul all sorts of things. I'm a landlord. I could take appliances in there, water heaters, everything. There was so much room inside. It was unbelievable. They never made a car like that. And the best thing was Toyota made both the transmission and engine. Pontiac made the rest of the car. It was a turbo. It was all-wheel drive. It got excellent gas mileage. I was getting in the 30s. But unfortunately, when GM cut the Pontiac division, 
neither one of them produced a car after that. Yeah, that was a little. That was a little. That was a little hatchback, as I recall, right? Like kind of a hatchback. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes, yep. Yep. It was. They, yeah. They they had they had Toyota made a car similar to it. I think it was the Yaris or something like that. But they never made the vibe and the vibe. I never had any issues with it. My God, I I, I wish they still made that car. I think they quit making it two thousand nine. Yeah, thanks for the call. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I always think back about this. One of the first cars that I purchased myself, not the first car, but one of the first cars I purchased myself, kind of after I got out of law school and stuff. I had a um. It was a Honda Prelude, and this was I, – I loved that car. I want to say it was like an 84, 85 Honda Prelude and stuff, and it was sporty. And, you know, it, it had the four-cylinder engine and stuff, so you weren't going to go going driving it through Daytona and stuff. But I loved it. It was sporty. It was a lot of fun. And then for some reason, Honda changed the design of it, and they made it a lot less sporty, and they made it into a sedan. And I just I, – I just I, – that, that's the car I wish – I wish they still made something like that because if I was going to be driving cars, that would be the one that I, I'd be interested in. Um, let's see, Jeff. I missed the bug by Volkswagen. Loved it, loved it, loved it. It was dependable, cost-effective, and it was cute. My um, my late wife for the last car that that she purchased that we purchased was 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 one of the was the bug. And I'm telling you that the thing is that that thing had the same engine in it. That like the Volkswagen SUV has, um, and the, the Tiguan, and it, same engine. And it, I, I would be driving that bug, and it was really it was it was kind of too small for me. Although it did have a bunch of headroom in it, but you know, I, I'd look down, and all of a sudden I'm going, oh my god, I'm going 80 miles an hour, and it was just it really uh, moved. Um, Jeff, I've got a Jeep Commander, never given it up, 320,000 miles and still counting. It's got the V8, uh, the V8 Hemi. Jeff, for me, it's the Chevy Avalanche. Matter of fact, uh, let's bring on Bill in Hartford. Bill, that's your car too, the Chevy Avalanche. Yeah, it's Chevy Avalanche. I had a, uh, a 2010, and I ended up wrapping that around a tree. And then uh, I had to go to Toledo, Ohio to find the last year they made them was 2013. Right. And I, I went out there and got it, and I actually got offered $5,000 more than what I paid for it uh, three years ago. Uh, a guy wanted it because it was such pristine you know, condition. Yeah, that, that's a pickup, that's a pickup truck. Of, that's a pickup truck, right, the Avalanche? Yeah, yeah, right. The pickup truck where you fold the back seat down and you can, you can use the bed of the truck. Got it. I used to haul sixteen foot boards with that thing, <laughs> but I. But then I also had a. I had an eighty six Honda Prelude okay. Si. Okay. And I remember I had to wait. I had to wait eight months for it to come in. Yeah. You know because there was a big wait list on them things. Yeah. But I think Honda's uh, Honda's answered to that when they when they discontinued those. Remember Honda came out with a thing called the two thousand, and it was a uh, it was a two little. Two-seater sporty thing, okay. but it was way underpowered, and it, it yeah. didn't do so well. Yeah, now thank again. But, I'm glad to find another Prelude lover because it was just it was just a fun car to drive. And again, it was. I mean, it, it was a four-cylinder car. I'm not saying again that you're going to take it on the road. Let's see, um, Jeff. I took my road test in a 1975 Chevy El Camino. I miss the car to this day. I'm 58 years old, Jeff. Um, my Chevy Avalanche. My zero. My O2 died after 18 years with 375,000 trouble-free 
miles. Jeff, I wish they would bring back American Motors. Um, you know, I just whenever I think about American Motors, I always think think about the Rambler when I was a kid, and then I think about um, the the Pacers. You know, the you know, the old Pacers they had, or you think about cars. I remember my high school, uh, my college roommate had a Pinto. You know, the Ford Pintos, which were uh, they had a little bit of problem that when you hit them in the butt, they tended to explode. But you know, other than that. Not bad. Jeff, for me, it was the Dodge Omni. Matter of fact, a couple of our uh, calls are saying that. Jeff, I still have the car. 1974 VW Carmen Ghia. Great and great-looking car. Guy, a friend of mine in high school, had a Carmen Ghia that was like lime green, but it, it got us where we were going. Jeff, Subaru Baja. I still have my 2006, which is the last year they made it. Everywhere I go, someone wants to know if I'd sell it. Well, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a good one that you've got there. Um, Jeff, I had a Honda Del Sol, which I absolutely loved. Great little car in the summer and I miss it. Convertible and the top fit in the trunk. Not practical at all, but it was absolutely great in the summer. Jeff, I miss the Buick Riviera. That was a big one down there. Jeff, the Pontiac Montana minivan. Excellent vehicle. Um, you know, I just, Firebird. I, I had a Pontiac Firebird, um, which was kind of their knockoff version of the Camaro. And I love driving the car. The problem is it was it was a mechanic's delight, at least the one I had. I wouldn't say it was a lemon, but it, it spent it spent probably more time in the shop, and that was back when I didn't really have the money to fix it. Jeff, an AMC Gremlin. I loved it. I remember the AMC Gremlin. I'm I, I'm not sure that would be the car that I would love, but that wasn't the question. Jeff, I used to tell everybody that I had a vet. That means a Chevette. <laughs> I remember the Chevette. Jeff, for me, it was the Oldsmobile Cutlass. I had uh, two friends in high school who had uh, Cutlass convertibles, and and back then that was the thing to have, um, friends that had Cutlass convertibles because, you know, it was great. You'd go to drive-in movies or you'd go cruising around. My producer, Charlie, says, any station wagon. He misses station wagons. Huh. Yeah, that's right. I'm not sure they, they don't make any of those traditional family trucksters or anything anymore. Um, Jeff, for me, it's the uh, Pontiac GTO. Pontiac GTO was a very, very cool car as well. Um, so you, you've got, you know, that whole thing. Jeff, I've always had good luck with cars. 1986 Pontiac Fiero, um, GT with 200,000 miles, Toyota FJ Cruiser, 275 thousand miles a lot of people are saying have to go with the avalanche love that bottom line is i mean so here here's the bottom line on this you know you, you think these cars and you love them and you think they're going to make them forever and the truth is times change uh cafe standards change with regard to mileage and pretty soon this car that you absolutely love is gone so if you really love it you might want to take care of it because it might be gone but as this segment says it's not forgotten back with more in just a minute so, Mike Spalding, can you see me driving around in a VW Beetle? No. No. <laughs> it, 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 it is, it, it clearly, I, I remember when my, my late wife bought it, was late, we bought it just before she got diagnosed with her terminal illness, but she just, she just loved the thing. And it was, it, I, I remember asking the dealer, and I, they just, I, th- I think it was like a 2014 or 2015, and I think they discontinued them a couple years after that. But my, my question was, I said, does any guy ever buy this? And he said, no. <laughs> he said, no. He said, it's, it's, but I'm telling you, that thing, 
had pickup. Like I say, it had the same engine like the Volkswagen SUV has. And I'd be driving this thing, and all of a sudden you go, oh, my God, we're going 85 miles an hour. And it was I, it, it was a fun car. It just it, I, it wasn't for me. I had a good buddy that had a, uh, uh, a Volkswagen Beetle, but it was like the Turbo Beetle. That's yeah. when they tried to, like, yeah. I'm going to say man it up a little bit, but yeah. they tried to advertise it to, to right. guys. Uh, it was a fast little car. I enjoyed it, but uh, every time I caught myself like driving it, like glimpsing, and I was like, "Ah, that's yeah, a bad, that's, that's a bad look." Now yeah. I do love Mini Coopers. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. So it, it's 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 sort of fun. Now I now I'm boring. It's SUVs. That's you know now it's it's, yeah, it's boring. It's practical and stuff. But that's it. It has seemed to me, and I've been saying this all during 2022, that it's been a tough year on celebrities. And I'm talking with like passing, and it it continues to be that. The news yesterday, Kirstie Alley, who um, she was in the first star, the first couple Star Trek movies. She was, you know, I think perhaps best known from either Cheers, you know, she was on there for five or six years, or for the the Who's Talking movies with John Travolta. She passed away at the age of 71 after a very short battle with cancer. But I, I. after she passed away, I, I just said, boy, it seems like there's just been a lot of celebrities that have passed away. And I went and I, I pulled out, didn't mean to be morbid about it, but I pulled out the, the, the list so far. And of course, we've got another, you know, couple of weeks here. Um, here are just some of the celebrities that passed away in 2022. Peter Bogdanovich and the director, Sidney Portier, Dwayne Hickman, who played Dobie Gillis, Bob Saget from, um, you know, the, uh, what was, uh, Full House and all that, um, Meatloaf. Uh, Howard Hesseman, probably best known as Dr. Johnny Fever on KRP in Cincinnati. Ivan Reitman, the, the producer. Sally Kellerman, who's probably best known for um, playing Hot Lips in the movie um, MASH. William Hurt, um, big movie star, maybe best known for his role in, in The Big Chill. Um, Estelle Harris, she was on Seinfeld. She played George Costanza's mother. And then Jerry Seinfeld's mother, the guy, the woman, Liz Sheridan, who played Jerry Seinfeld's mother. Gilbert Gottfried passed away. Robert Morse, who was probably made most famous by his Broadway role for How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, but he was a madman. He played the, like the, the owner of the, of this shop in Mad Men, David Burney, um, who was married to Meredith Baxter Burney for a while, Naomi Judd. I mean, the list just kind of goes on and on and on. Ray Liotta from uh, Goodfellows, who ended up passing away. Uh, Bo Hopkins, who was in American Graffiti and a number of other things as well. Uh, Tony Saragusa, who was like the commentator for the the sports. You I mean spent all those years, you know, working for that. Philip Baker Hall, who's just an absolutely great character actor. Tony Sirico, who, of course, was um, in The Sopranos. James Caan, famous, perhaps most famous for being Sonny Corleone in The Godfather. Toreen Black, who was the, one of the detectives in Hill Street Blues, one of my very favorite movies. Paul Servino, who played all sorts of mafia figures. He was also in Goodfellows, and he passed away as well. Tony Dow. Tony Dow, of course, was Wally on Leave It to Beaver. You know, and the list goes just on and on. Vin Scully, who was the voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers forever. Olivia Newton-John, um, probably most famous for playing Sandy in Greece. Um, Anne Hesch, who, you know, passed away as well. It's just, you go through this, and it's just amazing the number of people who, you know, ended up you know, passing away. Maury Wills, uh, Louise Fletcher. Fletcher, she was 
probably most famous for playing Nurse Ratchet in the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where she won an award for Loretta Lynn, um, arguably the queen of country music, Angela Lansbury, of course, Robbie Coltrane. He played um, a number of roles, but he played Hagrid in uh, the Harry Potter movies. And it's just, I mean, the list just goes on and on of people who've ended up passing away. Jerry Lee Lewis, of course, he ended up passing away. Robert Clary, he um, played in Hogan's Heroes, you might remember. The comedian Gallagher, he passed away. And then most recently, of course, you had um, Irene Cara passed away. She was in the movie Fame and a number of other things. Christine McVie, we talked about that last week from Fleetwood Mac, and now Kirstie Alley. Just a, a tough year for celebrities. All right, our number, 855 616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I really just want to focus, and I, and I didn't give you the, the, the whole list. I'm sure you can find other people from the world of music or sports or, uh, again, whether it's film or TV who've passed away. But I just just kind of one segment on this about you know somebody who, who passed away this year who you're really going to miss. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a minute. Gone but not forgotten in 2022. <laughs> this list just goes on and on. That, of course, is Christine McVie, who passed away, what, last week or so. That was my producer Charlie's nomination. Did this list, and, and, and there's some names that I didn't read, but, for example, Nichelle Nichols, who, she, she was Uhuru on, um, on Star Trek. You know, in the, both the TV show and the movies, and very, very famous civil rights activist. I would say Maggie Peterson. And you'd say, okay, who's Maggie Peterson? Well, if we all grew up watching the Andy Griffith show, right? Or you've seen it in reruns and stuff. She was one of the last living members of the Andy Griffith show cast. She played uh, Charlene Darling, you know, the, the Darling family. That's she, um, she passed away. Bill Russell, who, of course, just you know, an incredible basketball player, and again a leader in the civil rights movement as well. Bernard Shaw, who was the CNN main anchor in Washington D.C. for the longest period of time. You just go through this list, and it's like, just wow! It's now uh, again. I don't know Bruce Souter, the, the baseball player, and one of the things is I think maybe you know a lot of the people that, that passed away were people that were in their their seventies and eighties, and it's just. You're starting to see something about the, these baby boomer stars who are reaching the point that they, um, you know, ended up, you know, passing, passing away. Let's see. Um, Christine McVie. Um, yeah, you've got that. Um, let's see. Um, uh, James Kahn because of, I mean, his role in The Godfather, 855-616-1620. That's WTMJ talk and text line. All right, these are just some of the celebrities that passed away in 2022. Who who are you really going to miss? Jeff, Sidney Poitier was groundbreaking in so many areas of film, stage, and civil rights. I believe he was retired, but I used to watch Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with my parents at least once a year. I consider him to be on the same level as Harry Belafonte. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, Harry Belafonte, the musician, but Sidney Poitier, not just for his role in civil rights, but all the great movies that, that he was in, whether it was in the heat of the night 
or Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which was the final movie of, with Spencer Tracy, of Spencer Tracy, who he died right after they finished filming that. And you, you watch those scenes, and especially if you know about the relationship that he had with Catherine Hepburn, it's really kind of touching to listen to that speech. But Lilies of the Field, I mean, just so many great movies with Sidney Portier, no question. Uh, Jeff, I would mention Betty White. I understand she missed 2022 by a day, but I would still consider her. number of people are making the Betty White point. Jeff, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis? Yeah, I just, I mean, again, a lot of these people had kind of wound down, but, I mean, Jerry Lee Lewis, just an incredible talent. Jeff, I'm really going to miss Christine McVie. Not only could she write, play, and sing, but she did great cover art as well. She was incredibly talented. Jeff, do you think there were more famous people that passed this year, or were there people who became famous in that time frame that makes it look that way? Were they all baby boomers? Well, I mean, I think a lot of the people that you see are are baby boomers, and maybe it maybe it calls attention to this because it makes all of us who are baby boomers as well kind of realize, you know, our our mortality when you go, okay, well, you know, Kirstie Alley, for example, passes away relatively suddenly at the age of 71. And some people, and I understand, depending on who you are, you think, oh, 71, that's that's just ancient. Or other people say, oh, 71, that's, that, that was a good year for me, or that's not that far away. Um, I just Howard Hesseman, you know, who was uh, again the most famous, perhaps for for you know Doctor Johnny Fever on WKRP in Cincinnati. And even though that show only ran, you know, three or four years, anybody anybody of a certain age who ends up getting in radio, we're all you know we we all ended up watching we all ended up watching that show. And the thing that anybody who's in radio that watches WKRP in Cincinnati always looks at is they, they never have their headphones on. And if you do radio, you, you, you can't do it. I mean, I'm wearing my headphones. You cannot do it without that. So that's kind of like the suspension of belief. They're all in the studio. They're all on the air. Nobody's wearing their headphones. But um, that's what you have to uh, do. Jeff, it was certainly a tough year for gangsters. Yeah, it was. I mean, when you think about, okay, James Caan, of course, from The Godfather, but also think I think a lot of people would argue, you can always have really interesting discussions about What's the greatest mob movie ever made? And I, I think two that have to get consideration, of course, the Godfather series, but also Goodfellas. And when you think about, you know, Goodfellas, you've got Paul Sorvino, who played the Pauly character, the boss, one of the underbosses, and then Ray Liotta. I mean, both of them passing away. Jeff, for me, Tony Dow. I, I always... You, you always wonder with the Tony Dow, who of course did a lot of stuff, but you know Tony Dow was always going to be known as the older brother. He was always Wally in in the Leave It to Beaver show, and you wonder, you know, how you come to grips with that. That no matter what you do in the rest of your life, people are always going to look at you and say, "Hey, Wally, you know where where's the beave or something like that." Jeff, all this just goes to show you're only in the world for a visit, so you need to address it that way. Jeff, don't forget, you know, James Conn was in The Godfather, but he was also in Elf. Yeah, that's right. You're starting to see a lot of the Elf shows around here as well. Um, Jeff, Tom Petty. I think Tom Petty, I think he, I don't think he was this year. I think Tom Petty was last year. Jeff, you didn't mention Queen Elizabeth. That's true. Queen Elizabeth passed away as well. She's probably the most important. Um, 
Yeah. Jeff, for me, it's the rapper Takeoff. Um, yes, he did. Um, Jeff Taylor Hawkins, he was the drummer for the Foo Fighters, a great musician with a wonderful, optimistic uh, personality. A couple people are mentioning that. Jeff, you know you're getting old when you now watch one of your favorite TV shows from your youth and all the actors have passed on. <laughs> well, there, there, there is... There is that element. I, I will tell you when I when with the Andy Griffith show, I didn't I didn't realize that there were any people other than Ron Howard who played Opie. I didn't realize that there were anybody who was like at least featured in that show who was still alive. I thought when the woman her, what was her name Betty Lynn she played Thelma Lynn Betty something or other when she passed away a year or two ago. I thought that that was um pretty much I think that was pretty much it. But a lot of people are there. So it, when I saw, again, Kirstie Alley's passing, I thought, man, you know, 71, and apparently it was, a, it was a relatively sudden thing. I think she just got diagnosed with cancer relatively recently. We don't know what type of cancer it was. I'm sure that's going to come out. Louis Anderson, the comedian, passed away. You go through this list, and if you want to feel old, especially if you're a baby boomer, just, just Google Google a list like this and start going through them. And I just, I just kind of scratch the surface. There's all sorts of other people as well. Again, 2000, any year where Ray Liotta and Christine McVie and Meatloaf and Jimmy Kahn and a whole bunch of other people, Angela Lansbury, any year where those people pass away and Kirstie Alley, you know, it's just, it's just not a good year for celebrities. Um, and again, it does make you appreciate what one of our texters said that we're, we're all just visiting, and you got to remember that when it comes to living your life. 